Welcome, everyone, to Herblandia. Again, uh, this is uh, Andrew Quarry, your host. Uh, today on our episode, we um, we have joining us uh, Dr. Derek Scott, and uh, just want to welcome him to the show. Uh, Derek, welcome. Thank you, Andrew. I'm glad to have uh, something to, to do interesting during the quarantine. <laughs> yes, uh, there's no shortage of, uh, you know, idle time if you don't let yourself yeah. get involved, right, into something productive. Yeah. But um, so tell us a little bit more, um, a little bit about yourself. Um, what, what is it that you, you do? What is your focus? Um, well, I am a urban geographer at um, working at FIU. And I got a PhD from the University of Maryland in geography, uh, studying housing and um, basically the, the shift of... Uh, how gentrification uh, impacts low-income residents and um, in in America's cities. I focus mostly mostly um, at that point on D.C., but uh, you know I've been gone from D.C. for ten years now, and um, I, I still apply those same type of things of how how do we build a more equitable city? Um, to the most American cities are, are Western Hemisphere cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, and you 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 teach at FIU, Florida International University, locally, correct? Yes. So, uh, speaking of cities, and of course, uh, a lot of our conversations have been about, you know, the pandemic and how that is reshaping everything, or has revealed a lot of the cracks in the system, the fragility of our systems, uh, and that on every front. I don't think there's anything untouched right now by this pandemic, but I really wanted to kind of focus, especially in our local and Caribbean neighbors, uh, you know, um, the, mo- the, the more vulnerable uh, economically and, uh, you know, from social structures, politically, uh, you know, they're, they're the ones who are very, being impacted in ways that a lot of times we, we don't get to focus on because we're so much in our own sort of, um, you know, world, uh, as this yeah. is occurring. But if we, if we, ter- if we, if we turn our eyes towards, uh, say, you know, Haiti or Jamaica and all these, uh, other islands, uh, uh, you know, in our region, what are some of the things that they're dealing with that definitely shows how marginalized, uh, you know, the system is, uh, for well, these people? Yeah. I, you know, I don't think any other country can afford to just, write up a four trillion dollar uh stimulus to uh, i don't know for for rich people to just steal it but um so i i don't i don't think anybody else any other country can really you know whether it's real or not buy you know uh buy their way out of the problems uh, of this so um there's a huge impact without really a problem for the for the western hem for the poor countries especially of the western hemisphere um because the, the economic impact of the shutdown um for for poor people especially who are dependent on a movement of people and goods between the u.s and our ports and their ports and a lot of most of this has been shut down and i talked to people in in jamaica and i mean out, outside of kingston i don't think that much has changed but like in kingston it, it's it's unreal a poor, a poor city in a poor country, and now they're just hit with no money flow, and um, 
and no, you know, $4 trillion stimulus to, to bail them out either. Um, I don't know what the, the, the future holds, but I, I do know, like, when a devastation like this is so global, I kind of think the, the you, like, any, every time anything happens, the, those with power use that catastrophe to gain more power. And I, I kind of think the U.S. domination over, uh, you know, poorer countries, especially in the Western Hemisphere, is going to intensify. Well, I mean, the, the U.S. has always looked up uh, at as, uh, you know, a powerful uh, player pretty much globally in anything. Uh, yeah. But the way we've actually handled our own situation in a pandemic, I mean, there I'm sure there are people who are questioning exactly what, how great are we when it comes to this stuff about, you know, being resilient and, and, and preparedness. I mean, how does that factor uh, oh, into I mean, the psychology of other people, uh, other countries, and how they view us. I think most people. I mean, I, I, I'm. I, I haven't been to Jamaica since the pandemic happened, and you know, the people that I talk to are very, you know, they're my friends, and so like, um, but it's just so funny. None of them are really believing it, and then they just think it's, it's a, a big joke, especially because there's not the impact of like death, death there, and so, but. Um, yeah, we, we haven't handled this, actually, and we're now reopening. The The quarantine is not the solution. The quarantine was just, like, the, the people at the top saying, we need that we have a serious problem, let's figure it out, stay inside your house, and then we'll get a plan in place. There never, There is not a plan in place, though, and now we're just kind of itching to reopen, and I think this is going to be pretty detrimental, um, and I, I think people will are seeing this as like you know i mean after like when when i tell you there's um two big impacts when 9-11 happened me and a lot of other people started to think about a plan b and then when katrina happened i was like wow there's really no plan in place from the top down of like when a catastrophe strikes they don't really have any any plan and you kind of always think like oh they're a country this rich they're they're gonna come in with some kind of plan and there wasn't and now there's something bigger than katrina and it's so blatantly there 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 is absolutely no plan we're not actually doing anything we're just hoping that summertime kills it we're hoping that you know those um those who are weaker just die off and we can get back but the the, the people at the top are not really there's economic people at the top and then there's like leaders who are supposed to be like um coming up with something because you know we've put them in into these positions and they're supposed to be like taking care of us but there is absolutely nothing in place well i mean stay in your, inside your house and, and watch tv well, that seems the, to be the, the plan the, well the quarantine is obviously also to help with, uh, with the whole preventing the spread you know flatten the curve but it slows I, it down but once you come back out you're all you did was just move the date that's all we did. So if we just open back up, we're now just, we'll just return to like what March fifteenth was. And but we didn't. It, it, the the impact of the spread will still be there. The quarantine just slows it down. Um, and then you're supposed to come up with okay, if we're going to return to normal things, if we're going to return to like in my instance, if we're going to return to campus, there needs to be like testing when you enter campus and like cure well at like the entrance to every facility. None of this is in place, and we're about to reopen. 
well, we'll we'll see how this all plays out. But uh, certainly, uh, I'm being very cautious, obviously, about uh, where I go if I go out. Uh, but yeah. uh, we this you know it's, this is always to be continued uh, as it's being played out right now. But one of the things that I, I wanted to also uh, focus upon is the affordable housing, and you talk about gentrification in the very beginning and, and those studies. Um, yeah. A lot of renters did not really get much relief from the, the stimulus package um, when it comes to you know uh, you know programs. But I, I see that locally, some of the cities are starting to implement some relief. But um, initially, they, they they were like the afterthought. Right. So, so I just wanted to kind of dive into the whole, the whole gentrification talk and, and narrative. Um, developers who are in these neighborhoods, uh, I know some of them locally are trying to be, you know, good citizens and, and give back and, and help with different things. But w- where are we missing the mark? I, I kind of think a lot of housing is going to become very affordable um, really soon. This is going to be a, a, a huge economic impact that we're not like mentally, mentally able to to see how all of these things, like the, the domino effect of like, all right, like if half the um, restaurants and bars in Brickell shut down, well, all of a sudden there's less reason to be there. I mean, all that drives real estate is like a want and desire. There is no market cap on it. There's nothing that monitors it. There's just, is there enough desire for people to be there? So if th- th- there's a domino effect that then happens and it can just really shift shift the whole pendulum um, with what the, the what we call things that have value. And in terms of the bailout, I mean, twelve hundred dollars a person one time that added up to only ten percent of the initial stimulus. The rest of the money it never really hits people, and twelve hundred dollars is gone quite quickly. Um, especially with with all of the unforeseen like costs that have come up in the past and it's been two months now so that that twelve hundred dollars just it I, it went without even thinking about it i it just it came in and i just i'm back to being like at um waiting for my next paycheck uh so th- there isn't anything in there strictly to impact renters and then most renters are also, or a huge, huge amount of renters, are also just renting from people who, it's not some large corporation, it's just people who own a property and they're renting it out to this person. If they can't pay their rent, then the person, the owner, is really in a in a pickle of, do, I, do you lower the rent? Like, all of these things start to impact what the what the cost per like square foot of residential or commercial space starts, you know, readjusting with all the vacancy and the just the inability to pay it. Um, but where are those people going to go? I mean, you know, if you're already uh, in a very tough situation, you're in a very marginalized uh, community, uh, under uh, sort of like uh, forgotten or underrepresented. Uh, where are you going to go if you're? Uh, I mean, right now we have a. a a stop on on evictions but even when that's lifted because they're so anxious to reopen the economy what i've seen in the past like 20 years of you know starting to, to monitor these things is people having to pay more to live in less space so um you know what was just comfortable for two people ends up being like five people living in those quarters um 
that's what most like in in cities especially in the northeast in the u.s um the, the the low income population is able to stay with all of the gentrification that happens in these cities they end up just living in much smaller in shared space in much smaller quarters if they can in, in order to stay living in the in the center of the city where i mean any of these cities from boston new york dc any of the northeast cities all the way over i mean and as well as the bay area any any low-income black person in oakland you know if what's left is is not living how they were prior to to gentrification they're living in like a shared a, sh- a, sh- a shared home and so i think there's going to be a next level of this as well if you're going to stay in these parts you're, you're going to have to like make do with a whole lot less space well, and, and, and then also that, you know, factors into the, the spread of this uh, outbreak right. because it, 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 it basically thrives on, on people uh, coming into contact with each other. And if you're, if you're on top of each other in a small space, I mean, contagion is, is going to happen. Right. Um, and so then you've seen that you talk about New York and the Northeast. Um, the, the the rates of uh, you know infection and deaths uh, I mean it's been astronomical I mean compared to the rest of the country so yeah. you know even in, in that context they're still getting hurt and they have to reconfigure to 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 survive to adapt to survive and then then still uh, they're they're still getting pushed um, pushed out by the way of death a lot of times yeah I mean as we're seeing One right thing now. I would you know like to see i don't know how it's going to turn out like um you would you would think with the the remote technology that's been in place and people have been excited about for the past you know 20 years um that people would be spreading out but actually in the past 20 years the u.s the driving force of the u.s economy has really just been consolidated to a few different nodes and that's really just the bay area to la um houston Chicago and what they call the megalopolis, which is DC to Boston. That's what the whole U.S. economy is within those little the, the nodes of those cities. And so we've really come. And in in 2008, the housing crisis even forced it more. So like a city like uh, Phoenix was was rising, but after 2008, it didn't. And all of the the the, the cities that that made it out of that. Are those cities that I just named? Are those metro areas that I just named? And so those are the places that have been growing with a population, and those those are the places that have been growing with the their contributed contributions to the U.S. GDP. And so they've really been we've, we've consolidated this focus so much more. And I don't know if this particular pandemic is going to have an impact on that. Um, it kind of should, but I also kind of think like we're <laughs> once we get like back. Once we get out of the the fear part of this, we're gonna forget all about it, and we're gonna go right back to how life was like before. That's, that, that'll be very unfortunate, don't you think? I mean, this is a very I mean, traumatic experience. I um, kind of heard of the Spanish flu, but you know, I didn't really know. And it like it seemed like every hundred years, there's one of these flus that kind of just you know that goes around that like people just want to keep on comparing it to. I mean. 
all that I heard well, about yeah, I mean, none of us from, the, are from our generation ever lived it, so I think it would right. be a little bit different. Uh, but anytime you hear about playing. the 20s, you hear about like the boring 20s and people going out to baseball games. And like my image of the 20s is like, you know, crazy dances and people just getting together and having fun. But like that pen, so that's from like 1920 on. I they, they, it was quickly forgotten. And this thing that like scared the world. And I, I know we live in a much more globalized world where like things can spread so quickly. But I, I kind of think we're going to forget about this as soon as we can we don't have we have an amnesia i mean 2008 so there was is that economic, the problem we have we have an amnesia problem well we kind of just like want the party to continue we don't want to have any of the repercussions of it we don't want to think about consequences we just want to like i mean that's how you you know every government stops a revolution is if you know they if families can just have enough yard to have a barbecue and watch tv with their family they're not going to like think about how sucky their life is so I, I, I kind of think we all just like all I want out of life is just hang out and get these little moments of fun. And you, you, you kind of forget about the consequences. And I think we're going to very quickly forget about um, I think we're just going to move, move quickly, move on from it once uh, once we get past it. Um, well, well, I would I would I would expect that um, a lot of the remote capabilities of working um will it will it in fact impact uh you know real estate because yeah. if, if you can have your your, your employees uh work from home uh, for x amount of uh days of, of the week um you know they then they can live pretty much you know anywhere and you don't need yeah. to have I mean, the if overhead your office, of do you have some type of international finance company and you have to you know you have a huge ten thousand square foot office in brickle with x amount of employees well, now, like, why even do that? <laughs> like, why not just have a quarter of that size for when you need to meet clients and make everybody work from home and just be on Zoom and be productive from home and put all of that cost, the, the, the corporate cost of providing space and all the Wi-Fi, put that on the, on the employee and the, the, the owners will just get richer and the employees will have to be responsible for more of their labor that they're selling. Now, um, getting back to uh, the the Caribbean and um, you know what's uh, the impact there? Obviously, uh, uh, their big industry is uh, tourism, and you know, uh, sending a bunch of cruise ships and airplanes, uh, international travel uh, back to these small places, uh, who you know they they need to continue uh, moving just like anybody else economically. But the the, the big deal will be how they prevent the spread or even um, another outbreak uh, from happening across their islands because of the fact that they're a destination. You know, you talk about yeah. Jamaica, Haiti, or whatever, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, but a lot of these countries are still very poor, right? So they also need to open up their economies, but it's, it's not the same as the U.S. who, you know, uh, have, a lot, have a lot more resources. So how, how do we approach that? Um. You know, the, the 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 poorest places for a long time have been like negatively impacted by tourism or just I, I, there's a corporate takeover. The whole tourism industry and like what it leaves for the actual poor people 
Um, I mean, there's, there's countless studies and like data to, to show of like, you know, if your average one week vacation to the Caribbean, you spend per person like $2,000, it's like 10% of that actually stays there. And it's, it's even grown. There's like, there's been a corporate takeover of like today, like if you're going on a trip, nobody can really compete with Dominican Republic. So like Jamaica has been not really even trying to compete in that field and Haiti, I, 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 you know, since the earthquake, they've been like kind of maybe we'll reinvent ourselves at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think anybody we think about like restaurants here. I, I was quite shocked. Like after two weeks of a restaurant being shut down, of, of a restaurant being closed, they're now shut down. And now it's been two months and there's like restaurants shut down. And these are places that are like, you know. Own, have multiple owners that with a, with a lot of backing. So can you imagine just like if whatever small piece of that 10% of tourist dollars that actually comes into your country and now that's been shut down, like, and that, that's not going to start anytime soon. Restaurants and bars in America are going to open back up pretty soon. But that international money that, that feeds into there is a long way from, from coming in. And you'd also forget, like, it's not just the U U.S. travel dollars. Europeans go to the Caribbean and really spend dough. You know, Americans is kind of just like, oh, I can get a, like a little cheap getaway. But Europeans go and like really spend money. And I don't you know. This whole thing has really been shut down. So. Um, and so, it was so it, already such a small little impact that actually stays there and to be that dependent on that small little money that actually can stay and now that's been cut off uh this is what i mean these globe these repercussions that like then impact this and then impact that and like i mean there, i i'm not a, a fortune teller but i can see that this is this starts to permeate all different sectors of how the economic system works yes andrew yeah um yeah it's all connected you know and so just trying to, to uh, wrap things up a little bit here. Um, where, if you were given carte blanche, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're given the opportunity if this is a complete reset. I mean, what what would you do differently to rebuild locally in a global, and also in a global context, uh, not just our economy, but on all fronts, socially, the way that we think about health, food, you know, real estate, uh, you know, housing, et cetera. I mean, what would you do differently? How would you build your your world, and uh, and why? Well, all right. Um, what were those core uh, pillars? The first thing, like without without like just all right, there's a sphere of influence of like every country in the Western Hemisphere is completely de dependent on U.S. for trade, and that's their you know it's kind of like they can't really make a move outside without consulting with the U.S. even uh, for movement of any of their products. So just without trying to like tear down that paradigm uh then you know one of the things that most countries do is just that we're still in a like a, a colonial mindset like colonialism ended a long time ago but the the mind frame didn't and it's the same plantation it's the same colony and we just give away whatever the, those powers want so like if you just you, you keep the same you know domination of who who's in control like who who has the capital there um one thing is to like not just give away raw products actually turn it into something um that can be 
it bring more money to to your economy. So don't just give away your raw materials. Like, all right, you're, you're Jamaican, right? Jamaican. Reynolds rap, Reynolds rap, like takes like Jamaica just lost not only all of the money from the bauxite, but they they like they they ruined their environment, and then they didn't really make any of the money off of the bauxite. Reynolds and other co- international companies make all the money off of it, off of these raw materials. So, like, if you're going to destroy your environment by mining for bauxite, perhaps like just at the port have have a facility, a, a, a factory that manufactures that that bauxite into the actual tin or uh, aluminum, whichever bauxite gets turned into, like so that you're you're actually selling a product and you're that's getting you a lot more uh, um, uh, money for it. In terms of like the the tourism, like we just across the whole of you know every ex colony, we did the, most of the like the, the the major places, the 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 resorts that people go to are owned by international corporations. That's why none of that money really stays in there. It's just you know nice beaches and cheap labor, and all of the money really just goes to some international corporation. But if you're like a, a country, you know, um, that that is going so far into debt to try to make it in the 21st century economy, like make a stab at getting those kind of money so that more of that money actually stays in your economy when it comes in. M- most countries have gone into debt for things that really just end up benefiting the international system. Like if you get a World Bank loan, you're not really you're not allowed to build a hospital with it. You're not allowed to build school systems with it because they look at it as how would we ever get our money back by you building these infrastructure things they say like you can build a road that goes into the forest so that you can you know chop down all your trees and then get the, the timber out of the forest that's what they'll give a loan for but in taking all that debt we're still not getting any of the the, the money for the things that that infrastructure is built so if you're going to take on that debt then you need to build something that the money actually stays there for. And then you can start thinking about building the other systems, the, a better school system, a better hospital system. But I, you know, not specifics about how to rebuild the world, you know, please, like, nobody would ever <laughs> make me the tall, king. It's a tall order. It's a tall order. But I, 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 you'll give I, it I, would, I would fuck it. I would mess it up pretty quickly. Um, but just, <laughs> but, you know, there, there's, there's, like, it, it's very easy to see, like, mistakes of 40 years ago and then the rippling impact of of these economic mistakes you know because it's in textbooks so <laughs> it's not as if like i got some keen insight outside of like you know people have been this conversation has been going on um but it's so counter actually to like the the narrative of what like the you know the the, the growing economic system and like um the globalized system and how like the the richer countries have just gotten richer and the poorer countries have just gotten poorer um the narrative that gets you know mostly spread is it's the one that's told by the people at the top but there is this whole other narrative that is discussed by you know leaders of you know workers movements and social movements from the bottom to explain like no this didn't happen because of corruption on our part this happened because that money never actually even came to us like the money went directly to like Halliburton to build that road. Like so, it, like to build a new airport for new tourism. 
it wasn't even that, that money actually that the, the the loan from it never actually came to that country it went straight to the international construction company that built it and then it then went into like you know to have that airport or to have the the new the new roadways or to have whatever was the the, the thing that was supposed to be building a, mm-hmm. a more equitable economic system really just got funneled into the global corporations that are like larger than any country so what 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 will poor people have to do to get ahead you know i mean it's it's pretty we've had this conversation you know this this conversation has been had over and over again you know uh people are fighting for this there's social movements just trying to get people from underneath uh so the chokehold or uh being stepped on by you know the very rich and few at the top or the people who politically uh are in power and and just don't give a damn um about their constituents i mean how do people you know have hope and continue to move forward i mean i know that people have done this before you know we're very resilient you know there's some the the the, the sort of like uh the issues that we faced in different ethnic groups whether you're talking about a holocaust situation slavery uh all sorts of uh you know uh, civil rights um you know uh, talking about movements that had to really push for just some very basic things right for us uh, to to even try to think about equality but how do people pick themselves up through so many beatdowns and and want to move forward yeah i mean it, it, there's no real answer for that i think most the, the waiting on some black messiah kind of thing um like there isn't like enough it, the word education isn't the right word but like you know with the there, there's not enough understanding of why a population is in the predicament it's in um and i think of like all right Hugo Chavez is not what Latin American Latin America was waiting for. Uh, you know, he kind of botched this Bolivarian revolution. But in there were these, like, you know, the ideas. But and the population went along with him because they were getting handouts. But they weren't really understanding what was the system that. He, he's a bad example because I don't think he was actually trying to upend this this you know global capitalist system. Um, I think he was just using you know the idea of revolution to to gain his own power. But he did hint at these things though. Um, but the, the the population there went along with him for a time um, because you know there was an immediate impact of them financially, but they weren't really understanding. I don't think that like if he was a real like you know uh i don't want to use the word socialist but like leader of the of a, a people people's workers party and he actually like uh it's not education but make people aware of what their labor is to this system they would have a vested interest in it so like i like how do you how how do people become you know a, a change happen for this inequality i mean i think there's been inequality since the the first surplus uh, like 10,000 years ago on the nile as soon as somebody had a surplus then somebody else wanted to own the the that surplus and the labor to create it and 
this has been just a growing thing of how can something in who have the power control the most valuable thing, which is the human capital, um, their labor. So if the population isn't aware that it's their labor that's driving the whole thing, then, you know, and I think there's like a hint of it right now, even of like people in, in, that are not really making any money, but are, are deemed essential employees and, they're really they're they're being treated like pawns in this whole thing, being shuffled out there to go and work in these dangerous th- places, and they know that they're pawns, uh, that they're that they're being treated like pawns, and that they're on the front lines of just yeah, don't pay attention, put a mask on, and get back to work for this system to generate a whole lot of capital. Your labor is only going to be ten dollars an hour, is really generating like a hundred to two hundred dollars an hour of uh, of the profit that goes into it. So, and I think there's like. I, you know, I, I've been trying to not really pay attention to any news, but I kind of see it like Amazon people starting to walk out, uh, um, other large places like that, yeah. people just saying, you know, enough. I've seen it with bus drivers who in New York, I was reading, they were like being forced to go back to work, like damn near like plantation style. Um, and th- these are people who are not really getting that much money and are, are so essential for the whole economic system to work. And they're not really being treated as anything. And they're just the, the idea of all we're really doing is selling our labor. And so, like, how much do you even make for your labor before we call you a slave? Yeah, I mean, I think this starts to, like, permeate into, like, the, the, the people's collective consciousness a little bit. I don't really think it's there because I think more than, like, you know, upending how the global system works, people just want to get back to the normal so they could have that barbecue on the weekends and just like watch TV and, you know, mm. have a drink at their favorite bar. I don't think they really want to change anything. They just want to get back to that comfortable, like, whatever it is. Um, well, uh, you know, we know change is not something that comes easy. Uh, it's, not, it's not one thing that we, we struggle with, uh, whether it's personal habits or uh, we're part of uh a sort of a you know cause-driven uh, sort of movement to to make change happen for a collective, but uh, certainly yeah, there's a lot to to explore here. We can talk for, forever about about this, but uh, <laughs> so you know certainly want to thank you for your time today. And um, if you have any closing remarks, more uh, um, welcome. Thank to say you now. for inviting me today, and uh, you know do do invite me back when uh, you want to talk about happy things. well i think there's always right a silver lining to it all um i mean there's of course unfortunately a lot of deaths and um people getting sick and yeah uh people poor poor just continue to get pushed down but a lot of have a lot of people have had their lives um upended in many many different ways but i've also seen some really positive things come out of it and we have a case study now in how if you put humans away for about two months uh that nature starts to kind of heal itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, take cars off the road, no hustle and bustle. Some people are even finding a way to start only look, look at themselves, uh, you know, being okay with being by themselves and uh, doing some introspection. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it has its uh, benefits uh, as, as horrible as it is, uh, the downside of it. But certainly thank you for your time. And yes, uh, stay safe, and we'll certainly continue our, our discussion some other time. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Bye. All right, Derek. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to Herblandia. Again, I'm your host, Andrew Quarry. Uh, leave a message, leave comments, rate us on your platform, uh, your favorite platform that you're listening from. Also, go to uh, herblandia.com. That's U-R-B-L-A-N-D-I-A.com. And uh, subscribe to our, our updates. I also want to thank Night Young for providing the smooth tracks for Herblandia. And uh, check them out on Spotify, iTunes, and all your streaming platforms. That's Night Young Music. 